right, uh, you may be seated. First uh, Corinthians, uh, we're going to go to the book of Corinthians. Let me set this up a little bit, and this chapter is pretty long, so I'm going to read through some things real quick, but uh, I, I do want to make sure that we get off to a good start in Corinthians. Pretty, you know, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians church, you know, and, and a lot of things that we've learned from the book of Acts, we're going to refer back to, or I'm going to call your, remember, to your remember some of the things, because uh, uh, some of these things were played out in the book of Acts, then he eventually wrote letters back to the church. So it's important for us to keep that backdrop uh, in mind. Also, uh, Corinth was a, a giant cultural melting pot in Greece, uh, and, and it had great diversity. So if Athens was like the New York of Greece, then Corinth would be like the Atlanta. You know, it wasn't as big as uh, uh, Athens, but it had a lot of things going on. It was a wealthy city that was a multiple uh, religions practice there. So, so they had wealth, they had many religious practices, plus they had their own form of, you know, the Greek mythologists. So they had mythological gods that they looked up to. And then they also had, you know, they had a pretty low moral standard in Corinth. So, so it had a lot of things going against it, but even in the midst of all that, in the moral decay that was taking place there, God still saw fit to plant a church there. And that's what Paul did with his ministry. He planted a church there. And it's believed that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church of Corinth while he was visiting uh, Ephesus uh, during his third missionary journey. And Corinth and Ephesus was kind of like facing each other across the Aegean Sea. And, and Paul knew the Corinthian church well because he had spent 18 months there during his second missionary journey. But while in Ephesus, uh, he heard about problems in the church. And, and, and some of those problems included jealousy, divisiveness, sexual immorality, and, and failure to discipline members uh, for known sins. And, and so Paul's primary purpose for writing was to correct those problems and to answer questions church members and church leaders had asked him, asked him previously. And, and what we should learn from this is churches are not exempt from problems. And, and these problems can be delicate uh, and sensitive situations, but, at, at, in no other, but it, without any uh, uncertain term, these problems still need to be addressed. So Jesus taught us that if you have issue with people, you go to the people first. You know, and then if you can't solve it at that level, you go with some other witnesses. If you can't solve it at that level, you take it to the whole church, especially if it's something that deals with the whole church. So that was this issue of things going on and people not properly dealing with certain things. And so the final step when all else failed was to, 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 to bring this, you know, when problems get out of hand, was to bring it to the church leaders. And so what I want you to see in here tonight is that Paul is going to address early on about unity in the church. Then he's going to really start talking to them about uh, Corinth and the Greeks were very intelligent people. They put a lot of emphasis on intellect, they, uh, reason. They, that's why when Paul uh, in Acts, when he went to Corinth, they debated him in the marketplace. 
they always sitting around looking for philosophies and and, and these brilliant-minded people would sit around and come up with philosophies about life and, 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 and the things they believe. And, and, and a lot of those philosophies were not based on biblical principle. They was philosophy. Any of us can come up with a philosophy on anything that we know something about. We can sit down and think about it deep, long enough, and we can come up with a philosophy. Major, you play golf, you can probably come up with Major's philosophy on how to play golf. And, 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 and if you know what you're talking about, it may make sense, but then there may be some things that you're just making up that ain't never been proven. You know, and, and so what we want to see in this is that even though these people are highly educated, they were wealthy, and at the same time, by practicing and having all these different gods, it was hard for them to accept a basic truth that God will save them by sacrificing his son. And that's the whole premise of most of this first chapter is that, hey, he's trying to get these highly-minded people who are thinkers to embrace something that just don't make sense to their logic. That, and, and what we're going to see later in this is that their logic is that we serve a God, and I just can't see Zeus coming down and sacrificing his son, Apollos. You know, uh, Aries. You know, I, I just can't see the gods that we serve coming down and doing something like that. It don't make sense to us. And that's what he's coming up against. If their logic was not lining up with the Bible and with the teachings of Jesus Christ. So what happens is, is that when that happens, he has to let them know that your worldly wisdom is no match for God. And that's the second part of what he's going to try to get them to see tonight, is that, yes, you may have intellect. Yes, you may be smart. Yes, you may have wealth and power. But when you compare that, God could care less about that when it comes to you understanding this, that Jesus died for your sins, and that's why he was crucified and was, ra and was raised from the dead. They, 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 they were expecting something bigger, something better. Can't be that. You know, you just can't Zeus sacrificing his son. That just ain't going to happen. Now, yeah. So, so, so now when we start looking at this, let's go back and so this letter, that verses 1 through 3 in chapter 1, Paul opened with some familiar language that he always used in his letter. He had a couple of things. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Sosotes. Now, there's not much known about uh, uh, this brother except for the fact that Paul mentioned him. And so because he mentioned him in the old, early part of the letter, he must have been a helper of Paul. He must have been someone close to him in order to get, you know, front billing, to be listed up front. And, and so the other thing is that this is one of those letters where Paul, you remember, we done did all the letters that Paul wrote. Now, this is the last one that, that we're doing now. And this is one of those where you see that we made the distinction before is that he have to justify his apostleship. Some letters he wrote, he didn't even have to mention that he was all that. But here, when he's talking to these folks, he has to say, look, I got authority to write what I'm about to write. I'm an apostle that, by the will of God, chosen by the will of God. Uh, in other words, y'all remember me telling you earlier that the other apostles were looked at favorably because they walked with Jesus. Paul was looked at kind of cross-eyed by some because he did not 
physically walk with Jesus. So there was always this question, was he really an apostle of the Lord? So we all know his Damascus Road story. So he says, now look, I am writing to the church in Corinth. To you who have been called, somebody said been called. So all of us, whether you're a minister or a layperson, you have been called by God. Your salvation was a call. And sometimes when we hear call, we think that's just for preachers. And so therefore, we all have a call in our life when God called us. When he, look what he says, says. To you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He says, he made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Just as he did all the people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So in other words, when God sent that call out, everybody who answered that call was on the same plane. He didn't elevate some above others. Everybody is on the same plane in his eyes. And it's our faith that brings us to that relationship with him. And so he respects our faith. When he called us, it had nothing to do with how much money we made, what our status was, whether we had a, a, a good job or whether we were a street sweeper. It didn't matter. Because if we answered the call, then we got to understand that he expects us to be holy no matter what we do. That's his expectation. His expectation for his people to be holy. Holy talking about trying to live a, 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 a set-apart life, trying to live different from everybody else. Because if he didn't want us to be holy, he should have just left us in the world and just told us to, y'all just worship me from where you are, at your current station, don't change nothing. But he called us from something in order to get us to live at another level and live in a way that's going to please him. So he says, we're his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, their Lord and ours. So we all, all of us got this call. Now look at this. Then he says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus give you grace and peace. He always asks for them to have the favor of God on their life, and then he wanted to have peace. And they need to understand that because we are part of Christ, Christ made it possible for us to have peace with God. Now the challenge to the church is how do we have peace with one another? See, the fight with God, we ain't no longer fighting with God because Jesus satisfied that. But it takes work to make us be at peace with one another. And so that's what you're trying to say. I said, now look, I don't want you to just have the peace of God and, 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 and not necessarily have peace with your brother and sister. Amen. See, 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 see we, we, we skip over stuff like that. And when we don't understand that God expects us to be peace-abiding believers in his body, then if we thought like that, it'll cut down on a lot of confusion. Because he's praying for this church now, for peace and grace. And now look at this. He says, he's going to give thanks for them now, you know, because Paul always, if you know his pattern, he always gives thanks for the churches he wrote letters to. He says, give a word of thanks to lift them up and to give thanks for them being who God called them to be and give thanks for God saving them. Another question he says, I always thank my God for you 
and for the gracious gift he has given you now that you belong to Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Well, I thank God for giving you this gift, the gracious gifts he's given you. Well, what we're going to find out later is that the Corinthian church was a blessed church. With, with, with God had blessed them with abundance of spiritual gifts. You know, Paul, when he writes to them, he started talking about the various gifts that they have, and that's why chapter 13 had to be written, the love chapter, because they were putting more emphasis on the gifts that they had, and they weren't loving one another. And so he's saying, God done bless you guys with his gracious gift now that you belong to him. And every church ought to have gifts. Now, there's a debate out there whether every church is going to have the same and all gifts working in every church, but every church ought to have gifts that God has laid upon the church, that God has laid upon believers. And those gifts ought to be used to glorify God because we realize we belong to Christ. And so because we go belong to Christ, you ought to just accept the fact that you got at least one gift. You can do something. It don't have to be supernatural. You just, you got a gift. And so when we don't understand that, then that means sometimes we will sit down on our gift and, and, and fail to use it because the gift is not just for you. The gift is to be a blessing to someone else. He says, now look, through him. Well, who's the him he's talking about? Jesus. Okay, so through Christ, God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. Now, again, going back, he's saying now God enriched your church. And, and, and God has even blessed you. You got a church full of folks. Some of the folks are eloquent speakers. They, 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 they can speak well. And, 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 and sometimes what happens is when people can speak well, people automatically assume that what they're saying is right. See, because of Apollo, we're going to see this later, he could speak well of the things he knew. But he didn't know everything about Jesus. And so when people got lost into that, he was speaking well, but he wasn't speaking the true gospel. He had to be educated by Priscilla and Aquila. And so what I'm trying to say, there's nothing wrong with being able to speak well. Tie your subjects and your verbs together, but at the same time, speak the truth of the gospel. Eloquent speech that don't change lives is of no use to God. The word and the message, how simple or how complex it is, the end game is for the word to change people's lives. And if the word has no changing power on it, it don't make no difference how sweet we make it sound or how well we can articulate the word. And again, the Greeks were good speakers. They believed in speaking well. They believed in eloquence. They believed in that. And sometimes they assume that because the person could wax eloquent, that they knew what they were talking about. And so, so we got to see here, this is the backdrop of what he's trying to say. He's kind of coming at them early. He says, all your eloquent words and all your knowledge. Again, these people were considered very educated because, again, they believed in philosophy. They had great philosophers there. And at the same time, they also believed in a lot of different gods, mythological gods. And we're going to talk about some of them briefly 
here as we go on. He says, now look. He says, he will keep you strong. Wait, let, I think I can read seven, right? Oh, six. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I done got ahead of myself. He says, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now, look at this. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus. So he gave you gifts, and now you can eagerly wait in anticipation of his return while you're using the gifts that he's given you. And he's trying to encourage them now because this is a prayer. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Then he says in verse 9, God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited, somebody say invited. He invited you into a partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So now look at this. You are in a partnership with Jesus. That means that you are working in agreement with Jesus for the same thing. Partners normally, people come in partnership when they take on something and they're working toward the same end. And so therefore, we are partners with Jesus for the gospel's sake. We are partnering with him because we're supposed to be spreading the gospel. As he was the forerunner, came back, opened the world up to the good news, then it's now our job to be his partner and spread the same good news. So we are partners. See, and, and I don't think all Christians see themselves as being in a partnership. They think that the partnership belongs to other folk, the preachers and the, you know, the deacons and the leaders in the church, when all of you are in a partnership. If you're saved and you have identified with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you're in a partnership. So I say partnership. Have any of you ever been in partnership with somebody in business like that? You know, if you've been in partnership, you know that could be a delicate situation when you go in partnership. Well, let me, let's not go business. Did you know your marriage is a partnership? Y'all come in agreement that you're going to live a certain way, do things a certain way, because y'all are partners. And, and when the partner don't agree, the ship, the ship starts sinking. Amen. And, and so when we talk about partnership, like relationship, it, it, he's trying to get us to see the significance of the relationship that God has given us with his son. And so because we're in this partnership with him, we want to make sure that we are doing things and we are presenting the same argument that Jesus presents. That we're presenting the same gospel and, and speaking of it just like we will be speaking on Jesus' behalf because we are partners. Partnerships. So now look at this. Then he goes from talking about explaining to them and praying for them about being partners with Jesus, then he starts addressing some of the things that's going on in the church. So now, so from 10 through 17, I'll slow down here, he starts to talk about the divisions in the church. He says, so, so division in churches is not new. 
Amen. Folk in church have been disagreeing for years, even back then. So that's not, not unusual, but it's what we disagree on. Now, we can disagree on methods of how we do certain things, but we can't disagree on who Jesus is and the role that he played in the church. We can disagree on, you know, the color of the seats and the chairs in here and the, whether or not we ought to wear jeans or whether or not we can wear T-shirts at church. We can disagree on that. That ain't no heaven or hell issue. It really ain't. It ain't no heaven or hell issue. But I think sometimes we disagree more on things that ain't got nothing to do with heaven and hell than we do on the things that really impact somebody's spiritual well-being. And, and so when we, don't, when we do that, then now we cause others to fall. When we don't conduct ourselves like we should in the church, then we can easily cause others to stumble and fall. So look at this. He says, he says now, he says, I appeal to you, verse 10, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I'm finna say some things, so I need to know that I got, I got some authority. By the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in, somebody say harmony, with each other. I ain't talking about the people outside the church. I'm calling you brothers and sisters, and I'm saying I'm appealing to you by the authority of Jesus that you would live in harmony with each other. Man, how can we win others to the body of Christ when we can't get along with each other? Who want to be a part of something that, man, we can get, they can get that in the world. They can get conflict and confusion, chaos anywhere. They don't have to come to church to get that. They come to church trying to get away from that. Amen. When, when people join the church, they don't come looking for conflict with each other. Now, they come thinking they got to fight with the devil. But I ain't joining church. They, man, you know, next week me and her are going to be at each other. That ain't what God expects from us as believers. So he said, now, in order to do this, that you live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division among you. Let no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And, and one mind is talking about here is not things saying that we're going to always all agree and think the same thing all the time the same way. But when it comes to the gospel and the truth of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, we got to all speak the same thing. When it comes to the basic gospel message, that's what he's trying to get to, when it comes to, was Jesus the Son of God? Did he die for our sin? Was he raised from the dead? When it comes to the truth of the gospel, that simple message right there, we got to all say the same thing. Now, we can go over here and argue a little bit about whether or not women ought to preach. That's a sidebar. That ain't got nothing to do with the gospel. And people going to heaven or hell. We can come over here and debate whether or not you ought to have a male choir or this other kind of choir. We can debate that. We can debate how long a service ought to be. Should it be 30 minutes in and out? Hour and a half or two hours, three hours. We can debate that. Because we can all disagree on how long we ought to be at church. But once we have that disagreement 
and we settled that we're going to be here for two hours, then now we got to walk in agreement. And so those things was happening in the church when he was trying to get them to be united in their thought and purpose. Our purpose is to spread this gospel. And we got to all be united in that thought and in that purpose. And we have to keep that message before our members and our friends and, and people because Jesus got to be the star of the show. And so what's happening now is we come to church and sometimes he is clouded out and people can't see him. They see everything else and they don't see him. And so what we got to say is that, hey, when we're on the same accord, when we're walking in agreement, Jesus said, you know, the world will know you by how you show love one to another. They'll know you, my disciples, just by the way you treat one another. So when somebody sees us treating each other like we're enemies, that's a bad testimony to the world. And so he said, now look, someone, as we were talking in today's vernacular major, someone carried the tea back to Paul. You know, because he says here, for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels my dear brothers and sisters. Now, Paul wasn't even there, so it's, it wasn't that big of a distance between, you know, Corinth and Ephesus. So maybe some travelers going back and forth. You know, Chloe looked like she may have been a well-to-do lady that maybe had some servants. That, that, there's a lot of speculation out there. But someone in her circle of influence who had connection to the church knew firsthand what was going on in the church. Again, let me make this real for y'all. There are some people in striving who is clueless to what's going on in striving. But there are some people who are close to the action. They know firsthand what's going on. So when one of those people carry a message back and say, hey, they jacked up over there, that's going to get your attention. Because this is not someone who just don't have no idea what goes on in church. This is someone who is. So he called out the house that it came from. Somebody from a major house came to me and told me. Now when I hear major name, I'll say, man, major's the insider. Brother in the brotherhood. He helped with the meal program. He here every Wednesday night. So a major sending me a message. Must be true. Good possibility. Majors know what's going on. So some people in church know what's going on. And when people in church who know what's going on start saying certain things, it's okay to listen. Now some people ain't got a clue in talking. You got to know how to discern the two. Because some people only get third and fourth-hand information. This guy came straight from Chloe's house. And see, when we see this, he said, now look, man, there's some things going on in the church, and it's, a, it's causing me such a concern that I need to come and tell you. 
He says, now look, for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. And what they're quarreling about. He said, now look, some of you are saying, I follow Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. Or I follow Peter. Or I follow only Christ. So look, you got the potential to have four groups in one church. <laughs> one body, four different factions. I follow Paul. Maybe because some people say, well, he founded the church, so we're going to follow him. Then others say, I follow Apollos. Well, you know, we done heard about Apollos. He's an eloquent speaker. He knows his stuff. You know, he can really articulate what he knows about the Word of God. And all he knew pretty much was the Old Testament. But it's because he was so good and could speak some people fell for that, even though he didn't even have the gospel message until he got it told to him in, in Acts chapter, I think that's about Acts chapter 18, if you want to go back and read it on your own, when he ran across, you know, Aquila and Priscilla when he was standing up talking his stuff, and he only knew up until John the Baptist, to the baptism, baptism of John. He didn't even know nothing about the cross. And the cross is the most important part of it. He didn't even know nothing about the resurrection. But he was talking eloquently what he knew from the Old Testament. And so the good news about him, he was open for correction. Ain't nothing wrong with you being eloquent, but if you're eloquent and wrong, you got to let some people who are not as eloquent as you correct you. There are some times when people who don't have titles may be able to correct some of us who got titles. Because they know this word. They understand how God operates, how God does things. They study to show themselves approved. And so therefore, we must never be above correction, especially if we're saying something that's wrong. He says, so some say I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. You know, some say I follow Peter. Well, you know, most of the Jews probably would follow Peter. Because they knew of him. He was a Jew. He walked with Jesus. So therefore, he probably had credibility with them. And then others who say, well, you know, they were super spiritual. We, we only follow Christ. In other words, we can't learn from nobody, no, no man. Well, why did Christ leave people in the church to teach you? You got to learn from somebody. But it's better, too, when you study for yourself. And then validate the things that you're learning like the Bereans did. We ought to all be Bereans. Go home and study this for yourself. And see what God revealed to you in your study as you dig in the scriptures. So he says, now, I heard that in this church that I started, he said, man, y'all done broke up into four factions in there. And how in the world can we function if there's no unity? So he says, now, he asks a very simple question made in verse 13. Has Christ been divided into factions? Man, that's powerful right there. I mean, if the church is divided, then they don't try to divide Christ up into little bitty pieces. Factions. See, it's not uncommon, and all churches have issues, and I've said this before, so this ain't no new revelation. 
when churches break up into departments, departments become very territorial. And sometimes their territorial ideals trump Jesus. Because they lose sight of him to protect territory. So the men's group now, we got this group, we got a certain set of brothers come in, and now a new guy come in and say, I don't see it like that. And so now my territory is being threatened by someone that's coming in and asking questions. We ain't used to nobody asking us no questions when I teach. I just got to come in and ask some questions. Well, sometimes questions are okay. We ought to entertain questions. There's nothing wrong with a good question, especially with someone who truly want to know the truth. And so it's not uncommon. It, it, it just happens with people when they're part of something, they put their fences up. And then they regulate who can come through the fence. It happens in any group. But what we have to be wise enough to know is that Jesus is not divided. The church will function whether we got a dance team or a choir or whether we got a men's group. This word can still go forth. All these departments are new to the church. The early church didn't have all these different auxiliaries. We, had, we got that as churches started growing. We wanted to do more things. But, you know, they had a praise team back then because the Old Testament had praise teams. But they ain't have but a couple set of leaders, a couple of elders. They ain't have all these other departments for this, departments for that. They say we're identified in the Bible. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But we got to understand is that when we create a department, we're not dividing Jesus. We're still functioning in the same body. So he asked the question, was I crucified for you? Was Pastor Bolton crucified for you? No, I'm still here. Right? Couldn't did that. I ain't sure I would have did it anyway. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's just being real. So God knew what he was doing. So he said, now look, Paul is saying, look, even as powerful I, as I am as a man of God, I was not crucified for you. Even though the Lord met me on Damascus Road and gave me this assignment, I was not crucified for you. And then he says, were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? No, we don't baptize in Bolden name. You know, Latham name, a Fred name, in the name of Fred. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Fred. Now, you, that sounds kind of elementary because Paul talking to educated people, but that's basically what he said to make his point. Then he says, of course not. And then he says, I thank God that I, that I did not baptize any of you except Christopher, Crispus and Gaius. For no one can say that they were baptized in my name. And then he came back in 16 and said, oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. Now Paul was not anti-baptizing. Don't get it wrong. 
He's just saying, my primary mission is to preach this gospel. And once I preach it, if they got to wait the next week to get you baptized, I'm gone. I done got you what you need to get saved, then somebody else will come baptize. When you study Jesus, the Bible says he did not baptize many people, but his disciples did. And so Paul said, we're not hating on him. He's just making the point that you were not baptized. And he says, I'm glad now because maybe if I had baptized some of y'all, I would have used baptizing you as a leverage over you. Well, you know, I baptize you in the striving. No. Rob Danger ain't never baptized you. Bolden baptized you in the striving. So because I baptize you, there's a certain loyalty that you owe to me. Now I'm gonna be I'm gonna be gone Sunday. So Rob Danger gonna baptize some folks. Just so have a good lesson. Try line up, I'm gonna baptize them. And when they get up out the water, they can say, Oh, I've been baptizing Rob. No. Because Rob gonna say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of We're just a vessel. And so what is happening is that it's so easy now for people to get caught up with the human personality that they lose sight of Jesus. And if that human personality got a giant-sized ego, it's easier to pull people astray. So he was making this point that they were divided over things that they really shouldn't be divided over. And by doing so, instead of strengthening the church, they were weakening the church. He says, now look, Here's my mission, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Look, God, I'm out. Paul said, look here, the most powerful message I got for you is about the cross, Jesus Christ died on that cross, and him being raised from the dead. And I ain't got time to come in here with no flowery words that gonna dilute that message. And I want to make sure that when I speak this message, that the cross does not lose its power. And so a lot of times nowadays, we never talk about what Jesus did. People don't, want to, don't even mention the sacrifice that was made for us. Because when we start thinking about the sacrifice that was made for us, and we start saying, hey, just like he sacrificed for us, when we come into the body, we have to make sacrifices too. And so he said, now look, my thing is that, that the cross must not lose its power. And the church today is losing its power. Losing its power. Because the message that got blurred, and we're trying to get a message to make everybody happy, to please everybody, and when you try to do that, you're going to dilute the cross. You're going to dilute the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there are people out there who don't know and they will listen to and believe anything. Because they just don't know. And some of these people were great thinkers. So anything that sounded good, that challenged them to think, they could buy into it. That's how it was easy for them to buy into all these mythological gods. They could make sense out of that. 
Somebody make a statue that becomes their God, and I can do that. No different than when the children came out of Egypt and Moses was gone. It was easy for them to look at the cow or whatever that Aram created and them say, yes, I can identify with that. So it's hard for people who are thinkers to really identify with an invisible an invisible God. Because in their mind, I got, it got to make sense. I got to be able to touch it and feel it so that I can relate to it in that way. But what we're trying to relate to is spiritual. You ain't going to see it. And so therefore, when we present that message to people, they got to understand, I'm not trying to introduce you to somebody you can see, that you can make out, that you can touch, and that you can feel. Because if I do that, then I'm going to dilute the power of the cross. Now look at this. In verse 18, he says, the message of the cross. Somebody say the cross. And, and when you read cross, they just consider that talking about the gospel. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, buried, raised from death. So he's he said, that's a message, that's the gospel. He said, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. It ain't going to make no sense to folk who are on their way to hell. They just don't want to hear. They hell bent on going to hell. So when you start talking about the cross and Jesus Christ being the Son of God coming down and dying for them, that's foolish, Major. What do you mean about that's foolish. I can't wrap my mind around that, Major. I, can't, I just can't wrap my mind around And some of these people couldn't wrap their mind. I can't wrap my mind around this resurrection thing. What you're trying to tell me is foolish. But when those people don't heed the message, they're setting themselves up for destruction. The message of destruction ain't selling today. No preacher talking about destruction no more. I don't want to come to church to hear this. <laughs> I don't work hard all week, and then I come in and pastor talk about destruction. I'm on my way to hell. He talk about destruction. They ain't come back. People want a message that make them feel good. Want a message that make them feel good. There's something that speaks to their emotions, their felt needs. When you start talking about destruction and sacrifice and change, but that. My intellect ain't buying into this taking on my cross and following Jesus. I ain't, I ain't coming to you tip I got to take up a cross? No. That ain't the game plan for me. I just want to go to church and be around some people. But when you talk about taking up a cross, sacrificing, giving up this, I ain't come for that. You know, you just... You just, just killed my little high. I came in church on a high note and I left on a low note because you started talking about the cross. Man, ain't no easy way to talk about the cross. When you understand what the cross represents, there is no easy way to talk about the cross to make it seem like it's something nice and pretty and cute and everybody ought to be able to embrace it. Ain't no easy way to talk about that. That'll be like us trying to talk about the electric chair in an easy way. 
There's no easy way to talk about somebody getting electric you. Give me a way. And when you start talking about messages like that by electrocution, I'm like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> so look here, he said, now look. We got to realize where the power will come from. He says, he used, go back now and reference a little bit of Isaiah uh, to make a point in, in, in verse 19. And, 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 and he, Isaiah 24, uh, 29 and 14. He says, as the scripture says, now keep it in mind that you know, when these books was written, all they had was the Old Testament. So they didn't, we, we got the benefit of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's why a lot of time when Paul wrote, he referenced back to the Old Testament, even though these letters eventually became part of the New Testament. So he said, so he used the Old Testament as the basis of the foundation. Uh, he says, as the scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Wow. He is trying to say that it don't make no difference how smart you are, you are not as smart as God. No matter how wise you are, you're not as wise as God. And when you line your wisdom up against God's wisdom, your wisdom is going to get destroyed. Your, your intellect is going to get destroyed. So he says, now look, so we got to be clear. God is saying, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. That's what God is saying I'm going to do. God ain't going to let nobody be wiser and smarter than he is. Amen. Lucifer wanted to be him. God wasn't going for that. You got to go, doc. You can't beat me. I created you. So how can the created thing be greater than the creator? So he's saying wisdom come from above. And when people start getting worldly wisdom, now all worldly wisdom, don't get me wrong, is not bad. But keep in contact with what he's talking about here now. He's talking about the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom that God used to get people saved. He's saying, look here. That ain't going to make sense to some intelligent people. He said, look at this. He says, so where does this leave the philosophers? Verse 20, the scholar and the world's brilliant debaters. Man, if they can't be smarter than God, where that leave them? See, if they're not as smart as God, then that means whatever they're trying to do this, they think is greater than God is foolish. And they're going to look like fools. He says, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. By sending his son down to die for us, there was no way these thinkers could think nobody in their right mind would ever do that. So therefore, ain't no way we're going to embrace that. We ain't going to believe that this God, because Zeus wouldn't do it, Apollos wouldn't do it, Ares wouldn't do it, Poseidon wouldn't do it. They ain't going to do that, so we ain't believing no God that's going to do something like that. That's just foolishness. And now let's break it down. Sometimes when you carry the simple gospel to some people, they're they going to thank you 
speaking foolishly. But because they think you're speaking foolishly, it does not mean you stop spreading a simple message. The message is simple. It's not complex. Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sins on the cross, and on the third day he was raised from the dead. And to some people, that's foolish. To some Jews, it was even foolish because they couldn't handle that resurrection. So he says that God used those things to confound the foolish. Look what he says. He says, so where does this lead the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? And, and when we get there later, you're going to see, the, you know, when Paul went to uh, uh, Athens, man, the debaters wake up every morning sitting around and debating stuff, just talking philosophy. And see, the good thing about that is that if you know enough about something, you can develop your own philosophy on it. But what we got to develop our philosophy on is the truth of the word. We got to be able to substantiate what we're saying against God's holy scriptures. Because if we can't, our philosophy is just empty and vain. And anybody can think of it just because we don't went to school and got education. But when it comes to God's plan for salvation, that message is so simple, a third grader can get it. Look at this. Verse 21, he says, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. See, Everybody who heard Paul preach didn't believe because the great minds may have thought it was foolishness. But to the, those who could receive it, as simple as the message was, God used that to bless them and to save them. And see, what we got to understand, when it comes to God saving people, man, intellect has nothing to do with it, how smart you are. You're going to say later, how much money you got? And the message shouldn't be preached to match your money. The message of the gospel should be preached to match your PhD. Because you got a PhD in something. If it ain't a PhD in the Bible, then you can learn some things. Amen. Because I guarantee you there's some things in this Bible you don't know. And you may have to learn that from, you know, a Sunday school teacher. Because you just don't, don't know. And so God is not looking at us like that when it comes to us receiving this simple, simple message. And this simple message sounds like foolishness, but to everybody except those who are being saved. Now look at this. Look what he said in verse 22. And for I read them say, the Jews considered the good news of Christ to be foolish because they thought the Messiah would be a conquering king who would give them a sign from heaven. And although Jesus did many miracles before them, healed people, delivered people, raised people, they still didn't believe some of them. Because they was thinking that, man, he's coming to restore David's kingdom. He's coming to kick these Romans out of here so we can rule things. 
But it didn't work like that. And, and the Greeks did not see Jesus powerful at all because he didn't match up to their mythological characters. He didn't match up to Zeus and Poseidon and, and Hades. Man, they had a God for everything. Apollo. I don't tell y'all where that come from, you know, Apollo. Yeah, that's the God of what? Just think about it. What is this famous place in New York that everybody go to try to make it big? The Apollo Theater. His name, that's a Greek goddess name. A lot of folks that went there because that's, you know, Apollo, you know, it's, it's the God of music and poetry. That's why they call it the Apollo Theater. So we see a lot of things in America take on Greek name because <laughs> take on Greek name. Nike is a Greek name for the God of victory. A mythological character. We walking around with him on our feet. And he's supposed to be all that. But now, Major, if you think he's giving you them hops, then he could become your... If you think you, can't only, you can only hop when you got a Nike on, then now that Nike, you don't believe in what the Greek believe. See? That, 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 that shoe with that Nike on it, that's why Major can get up there. If he, if he put on some Converse, he ain't going nowhere. And so what you got to see is that, you know, when I was a little boy, we, we didn't understand we were going to the movie to see Hercules. That we was cheering on a Greek god. Nobody tell us that. We just went. We, we, we left that one to be. Hercules. We, we, they're trying to live away, trying to do all this stuff. Trying to, trying to imitate a Greek God. Because to us it was just a, a movie, a character. But in that, they was representing Greek gods right before our eyes. Before we even knew who Jesus was, some of us knew who Hercules was. And Atlas. And Mercury. Before we even knew who Jesus was and his power. Because that influence spread it throughout the whole world. And so it was easy for people to buy into that than to accept the truth of the gospel. So that's why he says, now look, in verse 22, it is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is also, and it, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. The message of the cross is foolishness to both of them. So look what he said. So we, so when we preached that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. The Jews are offended. Why? Because there's no way God would have a son, let him die, and then and raise him from the dead. We, we ain't handling this resurrection thing too good. And to the Gentiles, or the Jews, I mean the, the Greeks, they said, man, that's, that's foolishness. Man, ain't no way a wise God would develop no plan like that to send his only son to die for everybody. That's foolish. I can't, I can't see Zeus doing that. Zeus got too much sense. Ain't no way Zeus will come up with a plan where he gonna destroy Zeus Jr. for y'all. That ain't happening. Our God, 
Zeus wouldn't even come down and, and let himself be defeated like that. Die? And die in a way where it looked like he's a criminal? Man, Zeus wouldn't go for that. So he's saying now he's trying to make this, I'm making this simple to prove the point that he's dealing with these people by trying to show them that the simple gospel that they reject is the very thing that they need to save their lives. But because of their intellect, because of their knowledge, because of their wisdom, their worldly wisdom, they can't accept it. Not all of them, but some of them. He says, now look, in verse 24, but to those called, somebody say call, that word call is again. To those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wow. So when I buy into Jesus Christ, I get power and I get wisdom. I get wisdom that comes from above instead of trying to figure it all out down here on earth in my head. And the beauty of that now is that we have the book of wisdom. These folks didn't have this already written. Now when we lack it, we can go find the document that God allowed to be written on his behalf and read about how he operates, how he thinks, how his son did things. We have what they didn't have, but at the same time, we got to understand with Christ comes power and the wisdom of God. We often talk about the power aspect. We want to be these powerful Christians, but sometimes we can be powerful and unwise. So we need strength and wisdom. We, we need to know how to properly apply the knowledge that we get. Because a lot of times, knowledge is no good to you if you're going to misapply it. So wisdom helps us apply what we learn in a way that's going to glorify God. Now look at this. He says, this foolish plan of God, this foolish plan, the plan to send his son to die, is wiser than the wiser human plan, and God's weakest weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Wow. This plan that everybody said was a dumb plan make more sense than the wisest people in the world. And even God, he said, at his weakest moment is stronger than the strongest man. Good God Almighty, man. So he's trying to let these smart people know you cannot be greater than God in your strength and in your mind. And see, sometimes I think we think we can outsmart God, outreason God. And when we start trying to outreason God, we start compromising the word. And so God ain't got no problem with us asking him questions. God ain't got no problem with us not understanding. We ought to ask for the understanding, seek the understanding. But at the same time, we never get to the point where we think we know more than God. And I look at it like this. It's almost like, man, God is not going to reveal 
everything to us. Because if he did, some of us will start thinking we got. So now look at it. He said, remember. Now when he used verse 26 there, he used the word remember. In other words, he done talked about the difference between God's wisdom and what, you know, the world called wisdom. Now he tells them to start remembering. So now I got to put y'all in a mindset of remembering. Now look at this, what he said here. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few, somebody say few, few of you were wise in the world's eyes. See, some of us, we came to God. The world said we just didn't have it when it comes to wisdom and being wise. You know, I, 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 you know, few of you were wise in the world. That means that the majority of them, the world looked at them as being unwise. Few of you were wise in the world's eyes. All powerful. You know what? You didn't come to God with all this prestige. You wasn't no president or you wasn't no governor. You wasn't a commander on Herbert Field. You wasn't all that. I mean, you didn't have all that power. And most of you may have had some over your household if you had that. Because some household being ran over by the children. I mean, but, but he said, you, you ain't coming to God with all this power. Some of y'all ain't coming out, and then you get to church, then you got all this power. You came, you came to God weak and wounded and weary. <laughs> and then now you go down, you got all this power. He said, look at some of y'all, man, come on. I could never get ready to say I came to God with a bunch of intellect. I don't even try to pretend. I tell people, look here, man, if it hadn't been for football, I probably wouldn't even got out of high school. But this word can make you wiser than people that are smarter than you. And wisdom don't always equal smarts. That's some smart people. people. Plenty of people smarter than me. But I guarantee you, because of the Lord Jesus and what this simple message has shown me, man, I can talk this stuff to a doctor. PhD with three degrees on the wall. If you want to talk about the Bible, because the wisdom didn't come from me, come from a and see, that's why we can't get intimidated when we understand the simple message. Somebody, sometimes I see Christians get intimidated because they got to talk to somebody who outranked them, got more power than them, got more status. But guess what? When it comes to the wisdom of this Bible, they're dummies. If they don't know the simple plan, if they don't know God's plan, they are dummies when it comes to the things of the gospel. So I'm not going to go and try to challenge a neurosurgeon in neurology, but I will take him on in bibliology. I'll take him on now. But when he starts talking about neurons and protons and all this stuff and nerves running through you, okay, doc, you got me. I'm here, I'm all ears. Tell me everything I need to know about my nervous system. I want to know it. But now when it comes to the cross and the message of the cross, have a seat. I got something for you. Because they may not have talked to you, taught you this while you was in school. And just in case you didn't know, it's a simple message. It ain't hard. I know if you can do neurosurgery, you got to understand the cross. Jesus died for your sin. And so what I'm trying to say, when the message is so simple, man, we should let people confound us 
with such a simple message. We're not trying to debate the whole Bible. We're just trying to debate God's plan of salvation. We're supposed to be able to defend the gospel to the best of our ability. He said, now look. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy. Y'all didn't even come in here with a whole lot of money. You may have some now, but when you came to the Lord, when I came to the Lord, I was broke. I mean, I, I ain't coming, I can't come. But when I found the Lord, you know, I already had me some stacks laid to the side. Man, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> so I, I, didn't come, I can't claim. But when the Lord found me, man, I was already living large. Well, I wasn't living large. I wasn't living like that. I had it. So I'm in that few. I'm jumping the part of that few that came to Pretty much almost broke. Not much in savings, not much in nothing, because they just didn't know living paycheck. The paycheck. Didn't even, when I found the Lord, didn't major, didn't even have much power. I was just a little staff sergeant, man. When I got saved by the Lord, staff sergeant. And I was an instructor, so I didn't even supervise nobody. Because one of about 20 of us that was instructors, and we had one master sergeant that was over all of us. I ain't have no power. All I could do is go to class, teach that lesson, come on back. No power. But I started going to church when a friend took me as a staff sergeant. And I found power in the cross. Found power in Jesus. And so what I'm trying to tell you, it's okay if you got a PhD and you come to the Lord. But don't look at somebody who got a PhD and think God's going to give them some more credibility that he ain't going to give you. The same message that saved the PhD saved you. Man, it's time out for, for church folk being intimidated by folks who got money, power, and prestige. I, I, somebody sent me something the other day. You know a preacher, what's his name? And he feels like his folk need to know Justin Bieber in order to have some influence and power. When he ought to be telling you, you need to know Because we make gods out of people that we think got power and prestige. And we lose sight of the one who we're supposed to be focusing on. So he said, I didn't, didn't come with that. When God called you, then all didn't have that. He said, instead, since y'all didn't have all that, God chose the things of the world, considers Instead, God chose things the world consider foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Then verse 20 says, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, and used these things he ain't talking about with some chairs and stuff major. He said, use them. He used ordinary people, ordinary clay pots to, to confound the wise. He said, look, he chose, you know, counted as nothing. You know, some of us were counted out coming up. Told you ain't going to be nothing. I mean, just you, you know, some teachers told you, man, you ain't going to never be. 
But God chose you, Major. But somebody said, you are going to never be. And now he done gave you a message that can confound the wise. Confound those people who consider themselves important. Look at him, man, I tell you, this, this gives you something. See, this let you know you can have power because of Jesus, but even if you ain't got a BS or a PhD or any, a MM or anything. It's good if you got those things, but those things don't give you favor with God. Now, you know me. I, Lady Jeanette was the educator. She's the one that pushed education. That, I ain't going to take no credit from her because she was the one that made sure our kids went to college. So that was her thing. She, she was big on education, and I, I praise God for her. Because I, I, that been to me. If they told me whatever they're going to be, I'll be happy with that. So when they start talking college, I start seeing dollar signs. <laughs> you know, you ain't got no grants. You ain't got no scholarship. But I'm glad their mama pushed them. And I'm glad they all got advanced degrees. But they daddy, who ain't got nothing but a little bit of college, and graduated from high school with less than almost like a less than a two point seven. When I went to college, the man said, "Man, you ain't you don't even have the capacity to take a college class. We're gonna put you on probation." Just to see, and you can't take but one class to see if you're smart enough to even be in college. But God, when you learn this word and the principles in this Bible, it will confound the wise. It will make you wiser than people who are smarter than you naturally. When my girls call me, they ain't calling me for no molecular energy and stuff like that. Because I don't know. But when they call me, they're looking for I got plenty of that. And that comes from a... And I would hope that when your children call you or you talk to people, you operate in that same wisdom. We have relatives, man, who didn't even go to school. But they knew enough about God, man, to be able to talk with sense and wisdom that other people went to school said, man, granddaddy know what he's talking about. Granddaddy has some saying. We want to know, where did he get them sayings from? And you look deep enough, you find out some of them line up with the scripture. My granddaddy, I ain't never seen him go to he, he had a, I don't know where he got it from, but he used to say, if you make a dollar, save a dime. That we used to always tell him, granddaddy, I don't wear that, man. Look at him. I'm, when I make this dollar, I'm spending all this dollar. I'm spending all. Granted, if you make a dollar, save a dime. He was teaching me to tithe, and I didn't even know it. Teaching me to save 10%. Now, he was saying, look here. Now, he wasn't trying to get me to give it to the church. He was just saying, son, one day, something's going to come up, and you're going to need some money. And you don't need to be going borrowing every time you need something. You ought to have enough to get you a car battery. For you. you ought to have $99.95 in the bank so you can get you a. And so I remember that to this day. And to this day, I still apply that logic. When I got promoted, I used to cheat myself. I never spent everything that the government gave me. Even before I started tithing, I would cheat my checkbook. 
because of that simple lesson that granddaddy taught us. You make a dollar, save a dollar. And so what I'm trying to tell you, God gives us wisdom that comes from above. And when we give it to us, we have to apply it. And we have to share with others, but especially when it's talking about the gospel, man. This is a simple message that Paul was trying to get them to see. He said, now look, going back over this again. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considered important. And then he says, verse 29, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And he say, look, if that message was so simple, Major, you, Pastor Bowden, y'all can't get up and boast that you know you had to go to some higher education and get all that and you did this on your own. Now, this message was so simple, you ain't going to never be able to boast because everything you said is simple, but behind the scene, God is the one doing the work. You're not going to be able to take credit for what you're doing in his name. The credit belongs to, to him. So we are not supposed to be boasters. The gospel is not about us. It's about Jesus. Our boast is in the Lord, not in us. And we give him the praise. We give him the thing. We, we acknowledge what he has done for us. Man, even when I didn't even know, I look back now and say, man, God had to be with me. I was going to church, but I didn't know nothing about no serious church when I started going to college. I mean, I didn't know nothing about that. But now that I look back at that, man, I found favors with professors that knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And knew it. And I, went, and, and I was just starting to go to church, you know, knew it. And I look back and I say, man, why would this math teacher tell me, look, I'm going to give you this. And if you study that, you can pass my test. I ain't asking for nothing. Favor. Didn't even know it. Man would show me favor. And so I passed this math class that summer, and they let me enroll in the fall. Because I got a B, and something that I got a D in high school, algebra. But that little bit of help got me into them folks' college. And so what I'm trying to tell you, God is always showing us favor. We just got to believe that when we trust him, he will do things for us behind the scenes that we may not always understand. Because sometimes our intellect keep us from receiving what God is trying to give us. We think we got to figure it all out. And it got to make sense to my mind. When God is saying, just trust me. So look at this, verse 30 and 31. He says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. They're talking about us now. For our benefit... God made him to be wisdom itself. Wow. God made Jesus to be wisdom himself, itself. So now what he's saying, I'm in partnership with wisdom. Because he told me earlier, I'm a partner with Christ. And so if God made him wisdom and I'm in partnership with him, then guess what? I'm in partnership. I can look to him when I'm looking for wisdom. Christ made us right with God. And he made us pure and holy 
and free, freed us from sin. So Jesus did a lot for us. One, he said, look, Christ made you right with God. You're no longer God's enemy. You're in right standing with God now. So if anybody try to tell you that God is upset with you, God is not mad at you because of Jesus. Then he says now, he also made us pure and holy. When Jesus died on that cross, man, his blood covered our sins. Man, it don't mean we're never going to sin again, but look, he put us in a different place now than we were before he, before he died. And as a result of that, i got to understand that, hey, it is possible now because of Jesus for me to try to do my best, Fred, to live holy. And he freed us from sin. We're not supposed to be bound by sin. He didn't say you were never going to sin, but there's a difference between doing something in error and being bound to your sin. So you've been freed from it. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Give the Lord the credit for what he's done in your life. Give the credit to him, boast in him, and then your boast will be all right. And that's what I was trying to say earlier now, is that a lot of times, man, you go to church and very seldom, sometimes you don't even hear Jesus' name mentioned. You can go to a church for a month, and don't never hear nothing say Jesus. Christ. Don't make no boast in him. Because if you're going to talk about him and the gospel, you got to talk about the cross. Just ain't no way around it. You got to talk about his death, his resurrection. You got to talk about those things. And what I'm trying to tell you today is that people have watered down that gospel so much that a lot of young people don't want to hear the gospel. They really don't. But we have an obligation to share that simple message. Paul talking to some highly educated people here, but at the end of the day, his message was very simple. You got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe that God sent him to die for your sins and, you can be, and he raised him from the dead. Amen? So again, now, we're going to get even deeper in, in uh, 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 Corinthians because later on, you know, Paul deals with a whole lot of issues that they had in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was considered so bad he had to write them two letters, long, one of them a long letter. The second letter you're going to see when we get there is a lot milder than the first letter. But this first letter, man, those different things they brought into the church, those different ideologies, what they believed and what they were doing, you're going to see, man, he said, man, look, when we get there, you know, y'all got a dude messing with his dad's wife. And y'all ain't said nothing. Y'all still not having prayer. I mean, praise the Lord. He come to church, sit right there among you. Pastor, look, if he can't get together, you know, y'all got to. Y'all, that, that was tough. I thought that was tough when Paul said that, man. He said, look, turn him over to Satan. So teach him a lesson, but then be ready to accept him back when he learned his lesson. That's tough. That's just a, 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 a preview of what's to come in the Corinthian church. Again, this is little Atlanta. All you got to do is think about Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta got some crazy over there. Corinthians got some crazy in it. Amen? Amen. All right, then. Uh, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. 